0: I hope you have a Bible with you today. I want you to turn with me over to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John is a book that a lot of people are confused about. If you read a lot of the new modern commentaries, they'll say, "Well, 1 John is a book that was written to test whether you're saved or not." No, that's not what 1 John is about. 1 John is to see whether we're walking in fellowship with our savior. It's written to believers. That's very clear in 1 John. It's written to Christians. It's not saying, well, we wonder if you're a Christian. You know, uh, if you're saved, you're going to check all these boxes and all that, which only breeds confusion. No, it's a, it's a difference between being saved and walking with the Lord. You're in 1 John chapter 3. I want you to hold your place in 1 John 3. We're going to get there. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2nd Corinthians chapter 11 a statement is made by the apostle Paul which sort of sets the table it's sort of the doorway into the message today in 2nd Corinthians chapter 11 today we're talking about the simplicity of God's will the simplicity of God's will you might say why well, God's will is simple it really is it really is if you believe what God says and I think you do in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse three, Paul says this. He says, "But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, his craftiness, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The singleness, the exclusiveness, the simplicity, that is in Jesus Christ. Now I'm a person. I love simplicity. And let me say this today, uh, true simplicity is not simple. True simplicity is profound. And the reality is this, it takes a lot of work to make something simple. People today, because they don't understand what simplicity is, they confuse simplicity with elementary or an ignorant level of understanding, okay? Well, well, that's shallow. They confuse simplicity with being shallow. No, simplicity is not shallow. Simplicity, let me ask you this. Is there anything simple or is there anything shallow in the statement, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. That's as deep as it gets. Because there's a whole lot there in that John 6:47. But Jesus, because he's God, he could take the truth of God and give a simple statement that was so profound and so life changing that it would literally work a miracle in the lives of people. That's simplicity. I can remember years ago, we used to listen. I, I know I've used this illustration before. We used to listen to, my wife and I used to love listening to Paul Harvey when he was on Good Day you remember that? I just loved this broadcast. But anyways, one of his early sponsors was the audio company Bose. And Bose made this device. It was called the Acoustic Wave Machine. Now, it sounds like some sort of a weird thing, but it really wasn't. It's sort of like a uh, space-age boombox is what it was, okay? And that's not doing it justice. But the idea was, and of course, when I first started listening to Paul Harvey... I still had the part of me that went back into the late 60s and early 70s about stereo components. You know, you had the big receivers with all the dials and stuff, and then you had the equalizer with all the little things where you go up and down. And of course, then your speaker system. Well, you didn't just have a speaker, I mean, you had two-way, three-way speakers, you know, and you had the woofer. Now, that's not a dog, okay? It's not a basset hound. It's a big speaker. And then there was the mid-range, and then there was the tweeter. And the tweeter was took care of the highs, the mid-range took care of the mid, and then the woofer, the bass, and all that. And so it was getting that finely tuned and everything working together and all that. Well, the claim to fame with the acoustic wave machine was not all that stuff and all those wires and all of this, all this stuff. Bose had so crafted this and engineered this, device. And it was, oh, probably about this high and about this big, but it would literally completely fill a large room with sound. And there were no adjustments to be made. The beauty of it was you took it, you took the power cord, you plugged it in and you press play. And it was like an orchestra was in your living room. The sound was magnificent. And I can remember, Sue and I, once we went to actually uh, a demo of it at the Holiday Inn years and years ago. This was decades ago. And they did it with, you know, they had this uh, facade of like a drape or something, and there's this big sound and all that. And then at one point, they pulled it down, and you saw just this device there. And Paul Harvey's thing was, all you do is plug it in and hit play. Okay. Now, I know for some audio geeks, they're going to say, how good could it be? It was awesome. Now, I don't know if they still sell it or not. It was awesome in sound. See, simplicity is not simple. A lot went into the engineering of something like that. Well, I love simplicity. But with that in mind, many people today struggle with the issue of knowing the will of God. There's an awful lot that has been written about the will of God. And to be honest with you folks, some of it is so scary and so mysterious that it's almost like you get done reading a book on it and you say, you know what, I'm troubled after reading this book. I mean, I'm afraid, you know, I'm afraid of this. I'm I'm afraid that I might miss the will of God for my life and end up far away from God. It's sort of like boarding a flight to go someplace, but you board the wrong flight. And if if, oh, I hope I get on the right flight, because if I don't, I'm going to get off someplace that I didn't plan on getting off. Is that how God wants to deal with his children? The answer to that is no. That's not what he wants to do. But people, they worry and they fret about it and they complicate it. Wouldn't it be nice to have some clarity on the issue of the will of God? Well, that's exactly where we're going today. Let's go to 1 John. I told you to leave your finger there. 1 John chapter 3. And we're going to look at verse 23. Here is one of those simple, incredibly profound verses in the Scripture, nestled right in the middle of 1 John. And it says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. You might say, well, I've been, I've been praying for the will of God in my life. Well, here it is. Here it is, verse 23. You as a human being, you come into the world, and so here you are, you've shown up in the world. Well, what does God want for me? Two things. He wants you to put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, and then he wants us to love one another. You might say, is that it? That's it. Now, we'll define these a little bit as we go on, but that's it. We can get that, can't we? We can understand that. We see the entirety of the will of God wrapped up in this simple yet profoundly deep text, the verse 23. This is his commandment, okay? This is his desire for us, his will for us. His precept for us, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Let's look at the first part. Number one, he wants us to believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Now this takes care of the forever part of the will of God. This takes care of the forever part of the will of God. Hold your place here and look with me to John chapter 1, the gospel of John chapter 1. What does that mean to believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ? Names are significant. Names mean something. Jesus Christ. Jesus, the name Jesus means God is our Savior. Jehovah is salvation, literally, okay? Or Yahweh is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. That's what Jesus, his name, means Christ is his title, okay? He's the anointed one. It means he is the Messiah, the promised Messiah. Now, when you believe on the name of Jesus Christ, you believe, you trust in, you put your faith in the name of Jesus Christ, you are trusting in Jesus Christ that he is God who will save you. He is the promised Messiah, That's exactly what you're doing. You're trusting in him as your savior. Not in yourself, not in your good works, but in him. In John chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, but as many as received him. What does it mean to receive Jesus Christ? The verse defines it. The verse explains it. "...but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name." There's that phrase again. There's that issue. "...which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." What does that mean, verse 13? "...which were born not of blood." In other words, you don't go to heaven because of your heritage. You don't go to heaven because, you know, I can remember sharing the gospel once with one lady and I asked her if if you were to die today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? She said yes. And I said, How do you know that? Here's what she said My dad was a preacher. You don't go to heaven on a relative. Well, I was born into a Christian home. Well, being born into a Christian home doesn't get you to heaven any more than being born in a garage makes you a car. Okay? It doesn't work that way. It is personal. God has no grandchildren you must decide what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. He is the only way to heaven. See, we're sinners in need of a Savior, so which were born not of blood. You don't go to heaven because of your heritage, nor of the will of the flesh. You don't go to heaven because you try hard by your work. So I'm going to try hard. I'm going to refrain my flesh. I'm going to reform my life. I'm going to try to stop all my sinning. I'm going to try to turn from all my sinning and quit all my bad habits and start going to church every week and giving money and trying to keep the commandments. No, no, that's the will of the flesh. Nor of the will of man. That's the idea of you come up with some scheme or idea that you think certainly this will be acceptable to God. I've got a plan. I've got a scheme. No. You're not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but you can only be born again by God himself. John chapter 1 verse 12. Let me show you another one. Look at 1 John again. 1 John back there. We're in chapter 3, but let's move over to chapter 5. We are talking about the will of God. The first part of the will of God is that you would believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you would trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. 1 John 5, 13 says this. I can remember the first time I saw this verse. It was in 1972. And I thought, I can't believe that's in the Bible. I've heard all my life there's no way you can know for sure you're going to heaven. And this verse says, I can know I'm going. It was amazing to me, and I believed it, and I was born again when I believed it. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. There it is again, Jesus Christ, or Jesus. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Look what it says, that you may not hope, not think, not feel. You can know, you can know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You see the significance of His name. Jesus, God who is our Savior. Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. You're believing in Him. You're trusting in Him. Now, believing or trusting in Him for what? As the payment for your sin. This is why He came. This is what He was about. This is why we needed a Savior, A Messiah, okay? Let me illustrate it here. If this was you and me, my wallet represents our sin. We come into this world as sinners, folks. You don't become a sinner when you're seven, eight, nine years old. We are conceived sinners. God loves us, though. He hates our sin, but our sin separates us from God. You cannot get to heaven with even one sin, not even one. All of our sin has to be gone to get into heaven because it's a perfect place. God says our sin has to be dealt with. It has to be paid for. And he says in Romans, the wages of sin is death. We would not only have to die physically, but we would have to be separated from God for all eternity. That's what death means, by the way, is separation. No amount of good works will take away the sin. As we see over here, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. But here's what God did. He sent His Son, Jesus, God in the flesh. God our Savior. That's what His name means. Thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. It's all in the name. Jesus, God in the flesh, sinless. When Jesus came... And he went to the cross. He took our sin upon himself and he paid for all of our sins. Christ died for our sins and he paid the debt that we owe. He paid for our sins, was buried and came back from the dead. He says, if you will believe, if you'll trust in him, that he did that for you. Trust in him whose name means God our Savior. If you'll trust in Jesus Christ, He'll give you everlasting life. All of your sin is forgiven, past, present, and future. You go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for you. That's what it means to believe on his name. You're trusting in him. You're believing in him that he is God who will save you. You're putting your faith in him as your savior. This first part of God's will for your life takes care of the eternity aspect the forever aspect of your life. And this is the will of God. You might say, well, how do I know if I'm one of God's elect? Put your faith in Christ, okay? I like what one man said, the elect are the whosoever wills, the non-elect are the whosoever wants. That's really what it comes down to, okay? Salvation is free. Salvation is open to all mankind. Anybody can be saved, And when you trust Christ as Savior, then God has certain benefits and blessings for you down the road. That's what election all has to do with, by the way, what God gives to those who put their faith in Christ. By the way, more about that when we start our series in Ephesians, particularly in chapter 1. Look with me to Acts chapter 4. Salvation is a gift. You receive it simply by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Putting your faith in God who will save you, the promised Messiah. In Acts chapter 4, here's Peter preaching away. And he says in Acts 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. Now that right there throws works for salvation right out the window. Put it in the trash can. Because neither is there salvation in any other. That includes you. That includes me. That's why you can't earn your salvation. People say, Well, Jesus is necessary, but you also have to do good works. Then you're saying you are part of your salvation. You're saying Jesus is part of it, but you also no, God says no, there's no other name but his. Your name doesn't fit into the equation. You can't save yourself. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So his name is significant. So what is the will of God? That we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And again, this takes care of the forever part of the will of God. You might say, well, okay, I've put my faith in Jesus Christ as My Savior, fine. God says you can know you have eternal life. It's in writing. God has given us a written guarantee. Not only is it a written guarantee, but it's a written guarantee by God. Doesn't get any better than that. See, people today, they can give you a written guarantee... And then, if you try to claim something on the guarantee, they'll send the lawyers to your door and try to confuse you about and say, well, it really doesn't mean this and that, and doesn't, you know, this word means this and all that. No, 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 no. That's not the way God works. He's not a liar. God means what he says and says what he means. If you trust in Christ, He's given us a written guarantee. God who cannot lie says, you can know that you have eternal life. I stand here today. I know I'm going to heaven, not because I'm a pastor, not because I'm a preacher. It's all because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. I've trusted him as my savior. He said, because I did that, I have been born of God. I've become a child of God through faith in his name. And I can know I'm going to heaven. And I know I'm going to heaven today. I know I'm going to heaven. But what about the here and now? What about the today part of the will of God? And this is usually what people talk about. Well, 1 John, again, 1 John 3, verse 23, this is his commandment. First, that we should believe on the name of his son. And here you go. This will take care of the life issue, the here and now issue of God's will, that you love one another as he gave us commandment. What does that mean to love one another? This includes everything we can imagine when it comes to other people. All right? Now, folks, this is so profound. This is so profound. If I live my life with the goal of loving every single person I meet, I will fulfill the will of God. Now, we'll break that down on how to express that or exercise that. But this is the big picture. What is love? What is the word love here in 1 John 3? It's agape love. There are several forms of the word love. This one is the highest form of love. This is when when it says in 1 John, God is love. This is the word that is used. And the same way that God is love, that love is supposed to be something we as believers exercise towards other people. This is how we live our lives. What is love? It is not primarily a feeling, by the way. Simply stated, agape love, which is the highest form of love, is a sacrificial love. That is, a love that cares, a love that gives, a love that works for another person's good. It is to unselfishly give of yourself to another without demanding anything back in return. How many of us understand that the world is ignorant of such a thing? This is not where the world is today, but this is where God is. This certainly may have feelings attached to it, but it is not based on feelings. It is not a feeling. It is a choice that is made. This is biblical love. It is sacrificial, it cares, it gives, and it works for another person's good. Now, when the Bible says, when we trust in Christ, it says we are crucified with Christ. We have, in a sense, we have died. The old me died when I trusted Christ the Savior. That's how God wants me to see it. Now, do I, in reality, do I still have a sin nature? Yes, I do. But he wants me to see the old me, the old life, as something that is now past that's not where I'm going to live any longer. I've got a new life to live. I have a new purpose to live, and that is to love other people. We are to forget about ourselves and focus on what God wants us to do. Let me say that one more time, folks. This is, I feel so inadequate to try to communicate this. Once we're saved, we're supposed to forget about ourselves. Now, let me say this, that doesn't mean you don't take care of yourself. It doesn't mean you don't take showers, you don't brush your teeth, you don't go to the doctor when you need to. You know, that's not what we're talking about. You don't eat. Most of us don't have a problem with that one. But what it's saying is this, what matters most is not me. What matters most are those around me. This is how we as believers are supposed to live our lives. When we get up in the morning, we should be first and foremost, obviously, in communication with our Savior and with our Heavenly Father. But He has an agenda for us today. There are people that are going to cross our paths. The people we work with, our family, our spouses, our fellow members of a local church. And God wants us to love them. He wants us to care about them. He wants us to give our lives to them he wants us to notice what they need and see what we can do to fill that need that's what it means to love one another and this is the way life is supposed to be i'll tell you what if we are committed to that you hardly even have to pray about god what's your will for my life he told us it's not an issue then of what is his will then it's an issue of, Lord, how do you want me to fill that need that I see? Not do you want me to, but how do you want me to? Do you see the difference in the two? Look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5 and verse 13. Paul says this. He says, for brethren, you have been called unto liberty. See, people say, well, wait a minute. I thought when I get saved, I'm saved and I can't go to hell and I live any way I want. Well, let me say this, and by the way, we covered this Wednesday night in church. Can a person, once they've trusted Christ as Savior, live any way they want and go to heaven? The answer to that is yes, you can, because everybody lives the way they want. Did you know that? Now, that doesn't mean if you go in a path of rebellion, you're not going to have to suffer the results of that choice that there aren't consequences, there are consequences. But here's the truth. God created us with a free will. And whether you're saved or lost, yes, you make the choice on what you're going to do, how you're going to live your life. As we're faced with decisions, we choose what we are going to do. And yes, it's a matter of sowing and reaping. Keep that in mind. But here's the point. Look at it. See, freedom, yes, freedom. But how are we supposed to use our Freedom as believers. Galatians 5.13, for brethren, you've been called unto liberty, freedom, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, to your own sin nature. Don't use your freedom to go sin, but instead by love serve one another. Look at that, by love serve one another. Verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Turn with me to Romans 13, very quickly. Romans chapter 13. You might say, why? Well, I believe in living by the Ten Commandments. I feel like doing a little shocking of people this morning. You can fulfill the will of God and not even know the Ten Commandments. Did you know that? I'm not saying... They're not important. I'm not saying they're not the Word of God. They are. I'm saying this. Don't sit there and fret whether you can remember the Ten Commandments or not. Live your life to love one another, and guess what you'll end up doing? You'll end up keeping the Ten Commandments. Did you know that? It's what the Bible teaches. Romans 13.8. And by the way, did you see it in Galatians 5.13? For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You fulfill the law if you love your neighbor as yourself. Romans thirteen eight. 8. Owe no man anything but to do what? Love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. And then he says, let me get specific. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Verse 10, love worketh no will to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. How profound is that? If I walk according to love, I won't do evil to those around me. Because I'll be looking out for their good, and I'll care about them, and I'll see them as a ministry opportunity. Let's look at how this works, okay? Let me give you some examples. There's many others. I'm just going to give you some that came to my mind that I had to consolidate to fit into this message, okay? If we love one another, number one, we'll share the gospel with the lost. We'll share the gospel with the lost. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There is no greater act of love you can show to someone else than to share the gospel of grace with them. There's no greater act of love because there is nothing more profound that is more far reaching than them understanding the gospel and putting their trust in Christ as Savior while they still have time before they die. Why do we give the gospel every week? Why do we give the gospel every message? It's because we want people to be sure they're going to heaven when they die because we may never see them again. We care about people. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For the love of Christ constraineth us. It's not our love for Christ. It's His love for us. That's the driver. For the love of Christ constraineth us occupies us, controls us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, that he died for all, that they which live, watch this, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. When is the last time you shared the gospel with a lost person? Jump down to verse 19. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us, those who are believers, the word of reconciliation. Okay, what is that? It's the gospel. The word of reconciliation is the gospel. It is the message that brings people back into a relationship with God. It reconciles God with man or man with God, I should say. And we have the responsibility to share that. And if we are infected with and controlled with the love of Christ, we will do that. We'll be walking in love. So we will share the gospel with the law. Secondly, we won't hurt people by wanting our own way and not caring about what other people think. Listen, folks, listen selfishness is a cancer to the body of Christ. Selfishness is killing the church of Jesus Christ. Selfishness is closing local churches down because all we think about is ourselves. We have developed a mentality of consumerism. We come to church to get. We don't come to church to minister. I'm not saying everybody. I'm just saying this is a serious problem today. When is the last time we've done anything for anybody else except us? We don't even think about it because we've gotten so used to not loving the way we should. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense, give none offense, neither to the Jew nor to the Gentile nor to the church of God. Romans 15.2 says, Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Edification means to build up. My life should be consumed with looking and saying, What can I do to be a blessing to the people I meet? Sometimes it's just a word of encouragement. Sometimes it's sharing the gospel. Sometimes it's, it's praying for a need that this person has. Sometimes it's just a matter of being there and letting them talk. This is what it means to love one another. But you know what? So many, so many of us today as believers, we hurt people by wanting our own way and not caring. Well, I've got liberty. I can do what I want. None of your business. Don't you judge me. And we become a stumbling block because all we think about is ourselves and our own little world. Here we are, our own little world. And by the way, as time goes on, it's easier to create that little world with all the stuff that we have, the electronics and the internet world. And, okay, we've got everything just the way we want it. Our own little world we've got, our own little, you know, you might say, well, I'm not, I'm not that way. Let me ask you this, friends. If you have children, are you raising up your children to be ministry-minded? If you're not, you're part of the problem. Not the solution. Let me say this. If we love one another, third, we will be sure we are faithful and active in our church. If we love one another, we will be sure that we are faithful and active in our church. If we don't, you know what it'll do if we don't? It will discourage others and cripple the ministry. Hopefully none of us hear that and can say in our hearts, I don't care. I'm going to do my own thing. Look with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Listen, we are living in a critical time in history. I believe with all my heart, Jesus is coming back soon. And I also believe in the strong possibility that we are going to continue to lose our freedoms in America and the church is going to come under real persecution. I mean, real persecution. The writer to the Hebrews, I believe it was Paul, It was happening in his day. See, folks, we're over 200 years old, a country that has been blessed and prospered under the hand of God's blessing, but we as a nation have so corrupted and perverted ourselves with the wickedness of sin, and this is a cancer, and the entire world system is telling us, think about yourself, be focused on yourself. And churches are hurting. You might say, well, you know what, though? I don't don't go to church anymore because everybody down there is a hypocrite. Well, let me say this. There's room for one more. (laughs) There's not a Christian in the world who's not a hypocrite in some way. That's not an excuse. And that's not to dismiss the fact that it's wrong. But it's just saying we are all sinners. But I got news for you. We need each other And if you don't think you need your brothers and sisters in Christ, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's going to get worse, folks. It's not going to get better. Don't you listen to this prosperity gospel trash that's being preached today that, oh, everything's going to get better. Or these people who say, well, you know what? The kingdom's going to come. There's going to be world revival before the rapture. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says just the opposite. Hebrews 10.24 Let us consider one another, one another, to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Can I say this? We need to be faithful. We need to be active in our church. Listen, if you can be here, you ought to be here every service we have might say, well, it's just a hassle. Who are you thinking about? The crowd we have here today, if we had this here every service, do you know what? People would come in on some of those off services. When I say an off service, I'm talking about a Sunday night or Wednesday night. And if everybody who's here today was here on Wednesday night, people would freak out when they come in. They would say, I've never seen this many people in church on Wednesday night in modern times because it used to be this way. But you know what's happened? We've quit loving one another. We've quit saying, hey, you know what? I may not have a lot to offer, but I'm a child of the God, and I want God to use me, and I'm going to be here. And just let me say this. I say, well, I don't have a specific ministry. You just being here is a ministry, okay? It is an encouragement. There is strength in numbers, Exhorting one another. See this? You can't consider one another to provoke unto love and good works unless you're here. Well, I don't believe in going to church. I worship God on on the the lake or on the golf course. That's not God's view of worship. Sorry, buddy. You you need to start reading your Bible. It's not about you. It's about others. We are to love one another. Jesus didn't say here's the commandment believe on the name of Jesus Christ and love yourself. It's not what he said. Number 4, we will be quick to reconcile our differences because a divided church is a weak and ineffective church. We need to get beyond ourselves. Colossians 3:13, forbearing one another. You know that's an interesting word, forbearing. You know what it means? It means to put up with. Oh yeah, boy, when I come to church, I'm putting up with all these other people. Hey, you know what? I got news for you. This may offend you. Maybe they're putting up with you. Maybe they're putting up with me. We need to put up with each other. Why? Because we need each other. We're the family of God. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. By the way, it's much easier to put up with each other if we're forgiving Well, I'll just hold a grudge as long as I can on that person. I don't like them. They offended me. Get over it. You offended God. I offended God. By a lifetime of sin, Jesus still went to the cross and paid my sin debt because he loves me. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye and above all these things, put on charity. That's love, which is the bond of perfectness. Listen, if Jesus can forgive me of a lifetime of sin, in a moment of time, can I forgive another person who rubbed me the wrong way or insulted me or did this or did that? See, the body is the important. And these things hurt the body. There are infections. And lastly, we will strive for unity without compromising God's word. Let's close over in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Now listen, I I understand, you know, not everybody's going to be our favorite person to be around. I get that. But it's not a matter of me. It's a matter of loving them. Okay? Think of how many repulsive Christians there are in the world. And God still loves them. Jesus died to pay for their sins, and He loves them with an everlasting love. Folks, this doesn't mean that things shouldn't be. uh, I knew of a situation recently where there were two people, and there was a conflict between them. There was a conflict between them. And one was seeking to try to reconcile, and the other person wouldn't reconcile, wouldn't reconcile, wouldn't reconcile. Finally, the one person figured, you know what, I'm just going to approach the person the next time I see him, approach him personally and try to get this solved. Now, by the way, that takes a lot of guts, but that's selfless. That's the way we're supposed to live. And to my knowledge, it got reconciled. As far as I know, it got reconciled. But you know what? That went on for months. Months. How long should it have gone on? Only as long as it took to get it fixed right after it happened. If we care about one another, we forgive. We get things fixed. Okay. If I offended a person and I find that out, I have no problem saying to them, I am sorry, I understand I have done wrong in this situation, I am sorry, will you forgive me? I have no problem with that. Hopefully you don't. But there are a lot of Christians who do have a problem with that. They'd rather hold a grudge. Aren't you glad God doesn't hold a grudge against us in light of eternity? None of us would make it to heaven. Philippians 1.27, only let your conversation, that means your lifestyle, your manner of life, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Look at this. He's talking to a local church, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. If we love one another, we will strive for unity without compromising God's word. What's God's will for your life? What's God's will for my life? Number one, to trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior, to believe on his name. And number two, to love one another, to love other people. That's God's will. I say, well, I want some specifics. Let me tell you something. Let's get going in fulfilling this, and God will steer you, guide you, lead you. But this is the thrust. These are the, the, the two pillars of life that God wants for us. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening, and would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.